0: And turn to Genesis 24, because we have an exciting sermon today. Uh, The title of the sermon is How to Find a Wife. And so some of you are going to be on the edge of your seat today. How to find a wife. It's a really long passage of scripture. Uh, It's a beautiful story, actually. Uh, And I'm going to try to shorten it up a little bit. But I'm going to do a lot of reading, and so you just follow along. Go to Genesis 24, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we'll kind of stop about midway. And um, I'll just kind of paraphrase for a little bit, and then we'll come back and, and get the rest of it, okay? So, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took Ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from the master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom... I shall say, Please let down your jar, that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Mokah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden, whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. She quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trowel and ran again to draw water from the well. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Makah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then a young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Paraphrase time. She and the servant go to her family. The servant tells this whole story over again, exactly just as we read it. Everything that happened, he tells them what happened, Okay. Then we're going to pick up in verse 49. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. They called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servants, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebecca and her young women arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from beher, beher Lahori, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and she saw Isaac. She dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother. And took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death Father what a great story about marriage and Lord about just your leading us and and how how you can uh, take what what might be an impossible situation and you can you can bring about your will and Lord we want to know how to how to find your will God we want to know how to find out who to marry and where to work and what to do with our money and where we're to live, where we're to go to church. God, we we want to know your will. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us through the power of your Spirit and through this, this Bible passage, God, teach us principles that will help us to find your will in our lives. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I say uh, the title of this morning's message is How to Find a Wife, there's probably a lot of you that are automatically checking out, isn't there, right? You're thinking, I don't have to listen to this one because there's a lot of you that you've already got a wife and you're probably sitting by her and and so you're thinking, well, this deal's done in my life and so I don't need to listen and there's probably over half of you, maybe 60 or 70% of you in here today who would say, I don't ever want to have a wife because I'm a woman, right? And so there's a lot of you and we affirm that, by the way, and we agree with you and we don't want you to have a wife, and so there's a lot of you that are right away writing yourself out of this passage, and I don't want you to do that for several reasons, all right? Number one, at Lincoln Avenue, we really desire to create a culture of marriage in our church. Okay? Now what that means is, is that from the pulpit and from our small groups and from our Sunday school classes, you hear a consistent flow of truth that teaches us as a church how we're to behave in relationships, teaches us about the meaning of sex and the meaning of marriage and the meaning of family. And the reason that's so important is because if we believe the Bible today, then we're really at all odds with the culture. Because you see what the culture believes about those things, what the culture believes about finding a wife and and about marriage and about sex and about relationships is really very different than what the Bible would teach us today. And so what we want to happen at Lincoln is we want to have a culture of marriage where what you hear consistently from this pulpit and from our small groups and from our Sunday school classes is what the Bible teaches about what God's plan is for a man and for a woman. Okay? Now, second of all, I don't want you to check out because there's a lot of great principles in this passage just for finding God's will. Okay? Some of you are wondering now. You've got questions in your mind about, should I buy or should I sell? Should I stay or should I go? What should I, what should I spend? How should I, how should I do this situation with my kids? And so, so, so there's a lot of you that just have questions about God's will. This is an incredibly helpful passage simply about how to find God's will for really any situation in your life. It gives us some great principles about God's will. Now, thirdly, some of you, again, you're already married or you're not going to be married or you have a situation where maybe this specific story might not apply, but you also may have children. You may have grandchildren. And our hope is, is that the that the voice coming into their life is not simply from this pulpit, but there are going to be other voices in their life from their family that reinforce God's plan for marriage. Okay, That's really important. I don't know about, about some of you, but I had literally no voices in my life about how to choose a wife. I don't know about you guys. But I really didn't. I mean, I, that just, I didn't hear much from the pulpit. My mom and dad didn't say much. They were great people. I had a great church. But it just wasn't, it wasn't something that was taught. Okay, And what we want to create here at Lincoln is we want to create parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and cousins and friends who, who are going to consistently speak truth into the children of our lives, into the, the children of our church, the children of your families, so that they have a solid foundation for when they meet these times in their life. Dr. Kirkenall and, and I teach the fifth and sixth grade boys on Wednesday night. And one of the things we do is we do man training with them. And I think I've told you about it before. One day we sit down and we listed all these different things uh, that happen in a person's life, you know, like getting, getting a job and getting a savings account and getting married and going to school and loving Jesus and loving a church and having kids. And we talked about how, you know what, we need to make sure we do those things in the right order, right? Because some people will start out in a backwards order. You know, the last thing on the list ought to be have kids. Some People will put that first, all right? So, you got a kid, you don't got a job or an education or a wife. That's a problem, you know, and we talked about that. And so, we tried to put those in a proper order. And then, what we did was we said, okay, what about this one right here? Finding a wife, all right? That's something that many of you guys are going to do someday. What should you look for in a wife? That was the question we asked next. And Dr. Kirknall was up there with with a marker, getting ready to write it down. In unison, My fifth and sixth grade boys class said immediately to the question, what should you look for in a wife? They immediately said all of them together said the same thing. She needs to be hot. Okay. That's what they said. I'm just quoting them. They said she needs to be hot. All right. And so we put that down. You know, Dr. Kirkendall, we, we, we both agreed with him. You know, that's a good one. Hot. Huh? You know, we'll put that down. Guy, I think his wife's hot. That's all right. You know, we didn't rebuke him for that. We said, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah I, I get that. You're right. But we said, is there other things you ought to look for besides this one? Now, here's where it got interesting because there's a group of those boys in that class when we said, is there something else you ought to look for? They're like, hmm, ah. Uh can't think of anything, you know. I mean, they couldn't, you know. I mean, That's as far as they win. You know, that's the only thing they're thinking about. The only thing they're looking for. That's the only characteristic, the only category they have in their mind. Here's the cool thing, though. There was a couple of those boys in there. You could tell they had a grandpa, they had a grandma, they had a mom or a dad, they had, they had godly friendships in the church and somebody had spoken into their lives because they knew they knew the right answer. They, they listed off a bunch of other stuff. They talked about being a, a woman that loved God and being a woman that's committed to her church and being a woman who, who had kindness and bore the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, I was like, wow, you know what? Somebody's been talking to you, okay? Now, and what we want to create in this church, we want you guys to be those somebodies who are talking to them, okay? Somebody's already doing that at Lincoln. We want that to happen a bunch more as well. We, we want our kids to have a good hold on what, what should you look for in a wife? What, how should you make these big decisions in your life, okay? Now, as I work through chapter 24, about how to find God's will for your spouse, how to find a spouse, how to find a wife, how to find a husband. There's going to be something's going to happen. Some of you are going to realize you did none of these things. Okay. As we look through what, what Abraham tells his servant to look for and, and the steps to go through and to find a wife. Some of you are going to, you're going to really, you're going to think back in your past and you're going to say, you know what? I went to the rig lounge and I, I did, she was the dart champion. And it so impressed me that I fell in love and we got married, you know, the next week. And you know, some of you, that's going to be your story, you know, and, and, and you're going to be like that that's how we did it and man when i look at the bible i see that that wasn't really the best way to do that okay Now, that's fine, because obviously you're here today, so God's grace has entered your life, and God's working. And you know what? God has an amazing way of of doing great things with our mess-ups, doesn't he? I mean, he really does. But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to look at these principles and say, well, you know what? The Bible says that we ought to do this, 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 and this in order to find a wife. I didn't do any of those. And you know what? My marriage is kind of rough right now, and I'm not real happy in my marriage, and things are kind of tough. And so I'm going to say, well, because I didn't do those things, I must be with the wrong. Person. Now, the reason I want to bring that up is because I've heard people say that before. I've heard people in my office say, well, you know, what, Pastor, when, when when I when I was getting together with my spouse, I didn't do this right, and I didn't pray about it, and I, I didn't seek the Lord. And, and so, so I, I I'm ended up where I am, and I'm really miserable. And so I've concluded that God wants me to be somewhere else. God does not want you to be anywhere else. If you're married to that person, let me tell you what the Bible says. You're married to the one that God wants you to love, okay? The Bible says love the spouse that God has given you. Love the spouse that you have. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 15 says drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well should your springs be scattered abroad streams of water in the streets let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth did you hear that rejoice in the wife of your youth rejoice in the wife that you've had since your youth all right for lloyd that would be bessie right Lord, you got Bessie when you were a young man. That's the wife of your youth right there. For me, that's Emma. We've been married about 20 years. Coming on this August, it'll be 20 years. Folks, that's the wife of your youth. And the Bible says you rejoice in her. Verse 16 says, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 19, I'm sorry, that was verse 18. Verse 19 says, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. So what the Bible is very clearly saying is you should love your wife. You should rejoice in your wife. You should be happy with your wife. Okay, If you're married, that's a covenant. God joins a couple together. The Bible says what God has joined together. What does that mean? That means God does something supernatural in a marriage. And when God does that, when he joins you together, you're not to separate it. What God has joined together, let (coughs) let no man separate. The Bible says that we're to leave our father and mother and we're to cleave to our spouse. That word cleave means to cement. And so the Bible gives very clear instruction that once you're married, you are to love, you're to cherish, you're to delight in, you're to care for, you're to be committed to the one that you're married to. Okay. So now we've got what not to do with this passage. Now we need to learn what to do with this passage. So if you're not married here, then you really need to listen up. Okay. Okay. Because chances are you're going to be married someday. And then the Bible has some really great instruction for you that you need to take heed to. And one of the reasons you need to take heed to it is because marriage is a big deal. Okay? It's a big deal for a believer. And let me tell you why. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus, your life is going a certain direction. Okay? Okay? And the reason it's going a certain direction is because you love certain things as a believer. God's put that in your heart and you believe certain things about life and and you have a certain mission in your life. And so you're going a certain direction. Well, when you get married, you know what that means? That means that person is going along with you. All right. You join your life to another person. And so they're going a direction as well. You need to make sure that you're married to somebody who agrees with the direction that you're going with your life. And that is Abraham's passion for his son, okay? As we look at Genesis 24, the very first thing that we learn in this passage is that the will of God, okay, the will of God is often found by us allowing godly people to have an influence in our lives. In other words, when you're looking at the big decisions in your life, and when you're thinking about what direction should I go in my life, and what, what, how, what should I do this or this, you need to make sure that you're not making those decisions by yourself, Okay? You need to include godly people in the equation. Now, that's exactly what we see in Genesis 24. Who's getting married here? Isaac is getting married. But what we see right away is that Abraham and his trusted servant are having a huge influence in the woman that's going to marry Isaac. Okay? Now, as we read through this story, some of you are going to say, Pastor... Let's just be real honest. This deal is never going to work in in 2010 in Woodward, Oklahoma. I mean, basically, Abraham and his servant, they comprise this plan. They they decide the standards. They go get the wife and bring her to Isaac. All right. Now, obviously, that's going to be a little hard to pull off in our culture. Okay. but let me tell you, that's not where most people are today. You know where most people are today? Most people are clear over here. And their their family looks like this. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids are making huge lifetime decisions with absolutely no guidance whatsoever from godly people in their lives. Okay? That's unacceptable. Yeah, we, we may never do this over here just because of our culture. I understand that. Okay? But we sure don't want to be over there either. We want to be somewhere in here, okay? You see, it's not a good thing that in the United States of America, most boys, most young boys, their father gives them three, four, five, maybe six hours of instruction about how to mow the front lawn, okay? That's true, isn't it? I mean, my son, he's starting to mow, and I want him to do it a certain way. I mean, I want it to be mowed, you know, a certain way, different ways, different weeks. When he, when he goes along the curb, I want him to pull up that, that that wheel that's on the right. I want him to set that one notch higher, both the front and the back, so that it doesn't scalp that, that edge. And when he, when, he, when he edges it, I want him to do it in a certain way. And when he goes to blow it off, I don't want him just to kind of blow off the sidewalk so that it all goes in the crevice there. I don't like that. You need to blow it out of the crevice and up on the lawn. And when it's down on the street and you're going to clean that up, I don't want that back on my lawn. I want you to blow that over on the Hensley's lawn. That's what I, you know. There's a certain way that you got to do this. All right. And so, so there's a lot of people that are going to, you're, you're going to teach that to your son. And there's guys literally, I mean, I mean, I know men, they'll get three, four, five, six hours instruction on how to mow the front lawn when it comes to how do you find the woman that you're going to spend the rest of your life on? Zero. You see, there's something big wrong with that. There's, there's a problem there. That's not the way that we should be as believers. We need to understand that there what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6, is that there is wisdom in an abundance of counselors. It says, for by wise guidance you gain, uh, you wage war, but in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. There is victory in having people in your life who are going to speak truth. Let me tell you, I, I, I live by this. I'm not just telling you something I don't live by. I do not make a, financial, a big financial decision in my life without consulting some men in my life who will give me good counsel. I mean, I do that. I've not bought a car. I've not bought a house. I've not made a big financial decision when I didn't go to the godly men of my life and say, all right, guys. You know, here's how much I make. You know how much I make. You see the business meeting report. And here's my budget. Here's what we got going out. Here's our bills. Here's what we're paying right now. What do you think? Is this wise? I want you to go pray about it. And I want you to come back and I want you to give me your counsel. Okay, that doesn't mean I'll do exactly what you say. But I want to hear your input in my life. I do that stuff with my kids, stuff with my wife. I got guys in my life that I go to. And I say, guys, you got to help me. Okay? you you got You got to pray for me on this. You got to give me some counsel, folks. That's the way God has put together the church. He's put together the church in such a way that we need to be involved in each other's lives. We need to have people who are speaking wisdom into our life. And Abraham is actively involved in finding a good wife for his son, Isaac. Now, what you're going to read right away in chapter 24, verse one, the very first verse says this. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. Now, why does it tell us that? Why does it tell us that he's an old? He's an old guy, well advanced in years at this time. It tells us that because it wants to make sure that we understand why Abraham isn't going, why he isn't, why he's sending his servant to do this first of all. Why? Why his servants having a big role in this? Even bigger maybe than Abraham. You know why? It's not that Abraham doesn't care. It's that Abraham's an old guy by this time. Okay? How old is he when he has Isaac? He's 100. Okay? How old is Isaac when he gets married? He's 40. Abraham is 140. At least 140 years old here. Okay? So... You know what? When you're 140 years old, it's kind of hard to get on a camel. It's kind of hard to travel long distances, you know? I mean, it just is, you know? Some of you guys are just in your 80s. Hey, that's that's a piece of cake, you know? Jump right up there on that camel and take off, right? Abraham's 140, all right? So he's an old guy. And so what he does is he says, look, I want to be a huge part of my son's life here. I want to be a huge part of who he marries. And so I I can't go myself. So he gets his servant, okay? And he gets his servant and he means business business with his servant. Okay, how do we know he means business? Well, in verse 2, it says, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, let me tell you, when you do that with another guy, you mean business. All right. If you're just saying you can trust me and let's make this deal, what do you do? You shake hands. All right. But when it's life and death, when you're dealing with your son, you grab his hand and you put it right there. All right. That's when you know that means business. All right. You don't do that lightly. Amen guys. I mean, how many times you ever go in the bank and they're getting ready to sign a note and that banker comes around and puts his hand right there. I mean, that's when you know, this guy knows, I better pay this money back because this guy means business, all right? Abraham takes his servant. He said, put your hand under my thigh, all right? And he says, you swear to me, okay? You promise me. You, you got your hand underneath my thigh. I want you to look me in the eye and I want you to promise me a couple things. Number one, that Isaac will not marry one of the Canaanite gals that live around here. Where are they at? They're in Canaan. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for God's promises to come through about the nation of Israel. Now, God's going to fulfill that promise, but it's not going to be for about 400 years. Remember? In the time of Joshua, when God, God judges all the Canaanites. The Canaanites are wicked people. They don't love God. They don't follow God. They don't follow his promises. They're not hoping in him. They're nothing like Isaac. And they're nothing like Abraham. And so Abraham says, listen. Put your hand on my thigh and you promise me this thing. He will not marry one of the gals from around here. You'll go back to my family. Okay. You'll go back to my family and you'll get You'll get a wife for him from there. Okay. Abraham is serious about this. Why is he serious about it? Because you know what? Your spiritual life is going to be greatly affected by the person that you marry. Not true. It's not an ultimate deal. I, th- I think a believer can marry an unbeliever and they can still live out a Christian life. But you know what? That Christian life's going to be affected by who you marry. It just is. And the Bible says that we ought to be just as earnest about this as Abraham. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's given some instruction to some ladies. He says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. You hear that? Only in the Lord. In other words, only if the person is a believer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 it says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has Christ with Belial on what portion or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever what agreement has the temple of God with idols we are the temple of the living God the bible says you're the temple of the holy spirit and you should not join yourself in a marital relationship with someone who does not have the Holy Spirit, who does not love God, who's not been changed by his grace. And we ought to be real clear about that. Abraham is clear about that. You know, he doesn't say, hey, uh, servant, you know, I think it's Eliezer probably is who the, who the servant is of Damascus. He didn't say, hey, Eliezer, go get her. Go get him a good gal. Okay. He, he's clear. And I don't hear people being clear today. You know what I hear today a lot of? I, I, I sit in premarital counseling and I'll say, well, tell me about this guy that you want to marry. Tell me about this gal you want to marry. I'll say, you know, are they a Christian? And here's what they'll say a lot of times. Well, I know they believe in God. Okay. Now that, that makes me a little nervous when they say something like that. Because what, what exactly does that mean? I mean, Osama bin Laden, he believes in God. Is it like that? You know, David Koresh, he believed in God. Is it like that? if it's like that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a person who is joined in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ and who's going a certain direction in their life, who's a servant to the Lord, who's bearing fruit in their life. That's what we're talking about here. I hear people say, well, you know, d- 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 is she a Christian? Well, her family goes to the Baptist church, okay? Hey, let me tell you, I'm a Baptist, and I know there's a lot of families who go to the Baptist church, and it doesn't mean that their kids are necessarily believers, does it? We need to be clear. Abraham is clear about what he is asking his servant to do. He is equally committed. You'll notice in verse 6 and verse 8. That Isaac not go back to Mesopotamia himself. Notice verse 6. Abraham said to him. See to it that you do not take my son back there. And in verse 8. He says, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Abraham is adamant. You're to get a wife from Mesopotamia, from our family, but you're not to take my son back there. Why didn't he want him taking his son back there? Where are the promises? The promises are in the promised land, right? What did God tell Abraham to do? He told him to leave. He told him to leave your land, leave your country. You go out here, You, 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 you go to the promised land, you wait there until I fulfill my promises to you. Right? Abraham says, we got to be obedient as a family. God has told us specifically we're to be here, not there. So don't you send Isaac back. What might happen if Isaac went back? He might get there and say, you know what? It's a lot greener here than it is out in Canaan. And you know what? We live in tents. These guys live in split levels with jacuzzis in the backyard. And you know what? I love this girl that I just met. She kind of wants to be by her family. Maybe we ought to just settle here. That's disastrous, isn't it? Why? Because God has told him, you go to Canaan. You wait there. I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. Abraham's looking at the promises. He does not want anything to harm Isaac's spiritual life or him receiving the promises of God. You see what Abraham's doing? Abraham's taking his servant and said, all right, we're going to find a wife for Isaac, but you know what? Here, here's the parameters we're going to use. Not from the Canaanite women. OK, from Mesopotamia, we need to go back to our homeland from our family. OK, people that respect where we're going in life and you're not to send Isaac back. He's creating some parameters. OK, now, now we need to do that in our lives as well. As we think about a big decision that we're going to make, we need to make some parameters. We need to say, OK, here are the things we know God wants for our lives. And you know what? We need to be really stubborn about not laying down those parameters. Notice what the servant asked in verse five. After Abraham tells him what he wants to do, the servant says, well, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. That's a good question, isn't it? Gals, if some guy shows up and he says, hey, I got a marriage proposal for you. It's for my master. Well, where is he? Well, he's not here. He's back home, you know. But would you like to marry him? He's a real handsome guy. He's got a great personality. What would you be tempted to think, you know? This guy must be a real loser. He didn't even come, right? I mean, you know what you'd be tempted to think? I mean, what's wrong with this guy? Does he have a third eye or something, you know, that, that they're not showing him? You know, I'm going to get back. I mean, I mean, this is a risky deal, okay? And the servant knows and he said, okay, I'll, I'll do this. But if it doesn't work, then do I take Isaac back there? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Abraham will not lay down his standard. You know what he says to him? He says in verse seven, he says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you. What what does Abraham say? He says, I know this looks impossible. I know this looks like a stretch, but you know what? God will bless it. If we'll just stay within his parameters, God will send his angel and he'll, he'll bless what we're asking him to do. And some of us, we need to hear that, don't we? Because there's a lot of kids. I talked to a lot of kids. Michelle and Andrew talked to a lot of kids. And you know what they say, man? They say, you know what, pastor, if, if we go by these standards, there's just not very many Christian kids. There's not many kids that love Jesus, that are following Jesus, that have a heart for Jesus. And so you're telling me we can't recreationally date? You know, we shouldn't just go out and just try everybody out. And even though we know they're not a Christian, they're not going the same direction we are, we just want to have fun and date them for a while. You're telling me we shouldn't do that? And when we, shouldn't, we shouldn't date anybody that's not a Christian? And we shouldn't date until we're ready for marriage. Pastor, you're, you're condemning us to singleness, you know. This is never going to work. You know what Abraham would say? he say, you stay in those confines. The Lord will send his angel. And he'll work it out. Same thing with money. You know, people thinking about what they're going to do with their money. How they're going to pay these bills. Whether they should buy this house. You know, what's the will of God? Well, we know. We know some things about the will of God for money, don't we? We know we're not to be covetousness. We know we're not to to hoard. We know we're not to... We're to be generous in our giving. We're we're to be people who support our church and our our mission. You know what a lot of people are going to say? You know what? If I do that, man, uh, it's not going to work. You know what Abraham would say? God's angel will go before you. You stay within what you know. Here's Here's what we're learning by this. As we look for God's will, there are certain things that we can just say, I know this is not God's will. You know, a lot of times when we we ask the question, what's God's will for my life? I mean, it just seems like there's a million choices. There's not really a million choices, right? Because there's a a lot of things we know are not God's will. Okay, as I look at my life, I just know there are certain things because of what the Bible says. They're not God's will for me. It's not God's will for me to go into foolish debt. It's just not. I, I just know that. All right, that rules out a whole bunch of choices for me, right? That neat green Camaro, that's not for me. You know why? Because there's already this rule in my life. Because for me to buy that thing, I'd have to go into foolish debt, okay? I'd have to extend myself beyond what we could really afford. I'd have to stretch our family beyond our financial limits. And so I know that's not God's will. That's not the car for me, right? Uh, As I think about jobs, as I think about a house, as I think about my kids, as I think about, you know, all those things, there are certain parameters that we put here and we say, okay, we know this is God's will, we know this isn't God's will. And we need to obey those things in order to find the parts of God's will that are still hidden. Okay? Obey the revealed will of God. And you know what? God will begin to open up the hidden will of God. So what have we learned so far? You're looking for God's will in your life? What do you need to do? You need to surround yourself with some godly people who will speak truth in your life. You need that. Okay? There's some of you, you really struggle with that. You're you're prideful. You don't want to tell anybody your mistakes. You don't want to tell anybody uh, you want to ask for advice. You want to act like you have it all together. You want to pretend like you're somebody. You know what? That just doesn't help you, though. <laughs> it really doesn't help you. We, we need to be humble enough to say, you know what? I can't figure it out all by my, myself. And I need people praying for me. And I need people speaking truth in my life. So you need godly counselors. You need to set clear boundaries that you know. All right. We know this is not God's will already. So we're not even going to go there. We're, we're not, that's not even an option. We know certain things are not God's will, and we're going to stay within the parameters. We're going to trust God to work it out. And then you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. The servant takes off. He gets to Mesopotamia. You know what the first thing he does is? He prays. Look at verse 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. And show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. The daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I'll, let, I'll, I'll water your camers, camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. All right, what does he do? Well, he gets there, he sits down, and he prays. He says, all right, God, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I need you to bring me. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch. And I'm going to pray. And we'll see what you do. You'd be surprised at how many Christians make big decisions in their life without bathing them in prayer. Why do we do that? You ever wonder why we do that? Even people of prayer sometimes will will make big decisions that we haven't prayed about. I got a theory there. I think sometimes we're scared of what God's going to say. You know, (laughs) everything we don't ask because we kind of already know, you know, what, what God's answer is. But it's a scary thing to seek the will of God and not pray. And this sermon, he doesn't do that. He sits down and he prays and he prays for a specific kind of girl. Now, how does he know what kind of girl to look for? What's, What's he looking for? Well, he goes beyond our fifth and sixth grade boys' class. He goes beyond attractive, all right? And he's looking for a specific kind of girl. He's looking for a girl that when he comes up. As the women in the city come out with their water pots, they're busy. They're doing their evening's work. They're probably going back home to cook supper. As these gals come out with their water pots, doing their chores, he's going to ask them, may I have a drink? He didn't have a water pot. They do. Could you give me a drink? Common courtesy. He's looking for the woman that's going to go way beyond the common, sure, here's your drink. He's looking for a woman that's going to say, sir, I see you've got 10 camels there and they're probably really thirsty. You know what? Let me put aside my schedule. Let me put aside what I was doing and let me just go ahead and serve you by watering your 10 camels. Now, I, I don't I don't know anything at all about camels. But I have heard they drink a lot when they have opportunity, all right? You got 10 camels. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of going back to the well and drawing it back up and filling your jug and going over to the trough and putting it in there for 10 camels. He's looking for a gal with a servant heart. Isn't that what he's looking for? He's looking for a gal that's gracious, that's kind, that's compassionate, that's willing to put herself out for somebody else. He's looking for a gal that, that has a servant's heart. Why? Because that's the kind of gal that's going to make a great wife. You know, as you look about, think about what, what do you want to be in a spouse? Or who do you want to be in a spouse? You know what? What, what are the important things in marriage? It's things like that, isn't it? I, I mean, a person who loves Jesus, that's what you're looking for. Because a person who loves Jesus is going to obey Jesus' word. And what does Jesus tell us? He tells us things like, be slow to anger. Man, that's a great trait to have in a marriage, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Right. I mean, that's a good trait to have in a marriage. He's looking for, for the gal that's quick to forgive. You know, she, you know why Christians should be quick to forgive because we've been forgiven. All right. He's looking for the gal that's gracious. Why? Because God's been gracious to her. He's looking for the gal that's willing to give what, 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 what she doesn't deserve, what someone doesn't deserve because they've been given what they don't deserve. If they love Jesus, they're going to love others. They're going to love your kids. They're going to love your grandkids. Folks, he's looking for a gal who has a giving spirit, who loves Christ, who loves God, who is this type of person, and he's looking for this before before she knows that marriage is on the line. This is really important, okay? When you're looking at somebody's character, you can really mess that up by telling them what your intention is. You know when the best time to look at somebody's character is? When they're not looking. Isn't that the best time? That's right, isn't it? Now, imagine if he would have went up, you know, he's parked at the well. All the women are coming out. Imagine if he just put out a big, big sign, you know, a big sign. And the sign, you know, what it, what it said was uh, seeking wife for rich master, you know, something like that. You know, 10 camel loads of gifts to give to the one who accepts, you know. Well, now, all of a sudden, when he comes up and says, hey, could I have a drink? Well, that changes everything. What are you going to learn about those gals? Nothing. Nothing really, are you? You know, if I tell my kids, if I say kids, how you, how the five of you treat each other this weekend is going to determine whether your mom and I book a Disney World vacation with a beach excursion. If I tell them that, what am I going to learn about how my kids treat each other that weekend? Nothing. You know why? Because it will be disconnected from reality. Isn't that right? It will be, right? Because the way they treat each other that weekend is not really who they are. Right now, hopefully they'll treat each other good every weekend. But I'm just telling you, if I tell them that, that messes the whole thing up. And and that's the way a lot of people go about looking for a spouse. What's the first thing? The first thing is, hey, I'm attracted to you. You know, I'd I'd like to go out with you. I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to have a romantic relationship with you. Now, let me see who you are. Well, guess what? (laughs) You're going to have a hard time seeing who they are now. Why? Because you're already in a romantic relationship. And so they're acting in a certain way that they think you want them to, to be. You, their, their character is hidden by the motive. And the servant knows, look, that's not the way to go about this. What he does is he watches when they don't know he's watching. What he does is he, he, he interacts with them before they know who he is or what he wants or what he's doing or what's on the line. And, and so, folks, we need to look at people's character to discern the will of God, especially in marriage. You need to look at. Who do they love? What do they love? What do they spend their time on? How do they treat the waitress? How do they treat their family and their mom and their dad and their siblings? How do they treat people who hurt them? You know, how do they treat uh, people in a frustrating, stressful situation? Man, if you have the opportunity to see a person in those situations when they don't know you're watching them, that's a way to really see what their character is. So the servant sits down. He prays. He watches the character. I love that verse where it talks about he sits in silence trying to discern. God, is this your plan? And he's pretty sure it is. God, this is the one you've got. I prayed. You answered. So he goes to her family. He says, all right, let me tell you the story. Here's who I am. Here's what I did. Here's what I prayed. Here's what happens. You know what the family says? Family listens to the story. And in verse 49, no, in verse uh, 50, it says, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. They said, Man, we think this is God's will as well. So they asked Rebecca, Are you are you willing to leave? I love what she does here. She says, Yeah, I'm willing to leave tomorrow. I'll go. Isn't that a great picture of marriage? I mean here's a gal that's willing to walk away, you know, distance herself from her family, her friends, her culture. And cleave to the husband that God's given her. That's a great picture of marriage. Then I think my favorite verse. Favorite verse is 67. Are you ready? Isaac, he's out in the field meditating. Lifts up his eyes. Sees the camels coming. She sees him. She asks, who is that guy? Well, that's, that's Isaac. That's who you're going to marry. Puts her veil on. Okay? And then they meet. Here's what happens. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. And took Rebekah. She became his wife, and he loved her. You see the order of that? You see the order? She became his wife, and he loved her. See, that's not the way we talk today, is it? You know what we say today? People, they're hot. So I've fallen in love with them, okay? That's a key word, fallen in love. You know what that means? That means I tripped, and, I, and, I, and I'm here, okay? You know what happens when you fall into, you know, when you fall into something, it's real hard to keep falling, you know. You know what happens 10 years later? They come in my office and say, oh, well, I fell out of love, you know. I mean, I'm just bouncing all around in there. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, Whoa, I'm out, you know. Okay, you know. And that's the way people look at it. That's not the way Isaac looked at it. Isaac said, man, this is, the gal, this is the gal that God has given me. And he loved her. He loved her. There's no falling out of love, falling in love. You know what he did? He said, I understand what marriage is about. I understand what what the godly people in my life have done here. I understand who this gal is. I understand what we're to be together. And I'm going to love her. That's a great picture of marriage. Last week, we were in Genesis 22. And you remember Isaac and, and Abraham traveled to Mount Moriah? God, God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Remember that story? And, and Abraham's willing, remember? But what does God do? God provides a substitute. And so you have a picture of a father willing to sacrifice his own son. And that picture looks forward to what Jesus did for us. God being willing to sacrifice his own son. Here's the interesting thing. After Genesis 22, after Isaac's on the altar... You don't hear another word about Isaac. Isn't that interesting? Right away. He's, uh, from the time they take him off the altar, nothing about Isaac. Nothing in the rest of 22. Nothing about him being with Abraham as they go home. In chapter 23, his mom dies. Sarah dies. It's a pretty big chapter. They They go and buy this piece of property. They have a funeral. Isaac is never mentioned. The next time Isaac is mentioned, you know when it is? When he's getting his wife. That's the next time he's mentioned. Let me tell you about what the Bible says about Jesus. It says that Jesus went to the altar for you. He's your substitute. He died on that altar. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And you know the next time he's coming back. You know the next time this world will see Jesus. It's when he gets his bride. It's on his wedding day. You know who his bride is? His bride is every person who is joined in a faith relationship to Christ. People who have repented of their sins and have embraced Christ by faith and have been joined to Him. And someday, you're going to be a part of that wedding day. So let me just ask you a couple questions. Number one, are you looking for a wife? If you're looking for a wife, let's discern God's will rightly. Hey, you know what? In all the decisions of your life, let's learn how to discern God's will. If you already have a wife, hey, Lover, lover. But you know what? The biggest question of all this morning is: When Jesus has His wedding day, are you going to be a part of that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture of of marriage. God, we understand that the marriage itself is a picture of Jesus and His church. And Father, we thank you for. Uh, Father, for giving us such clear instruction about how we're to go about discerning your will and figuring out these difficult questions of life. And, Father, we just pray that you would You would guide us. God, that you'd help us to know what your will is, what your will isn't. God, we pray that uh, you would help us to create a culture of marriage here at Lincoln Avenue in which you are exalted and lifted up in the way that we we go about that process. Father, we pray for Your your hand to be with us today. In Jesus' name.